We come to the Word of God and the reading of God's Word this evening from 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 18. Brethren, let us hear God's Word. For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God, seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Amen. May the Spirit give us ears to hear what He is saying to His church. A brother in the Apostle Peter addressed this, his first epistle, to Christians scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Locations which are all found in that part of the world which we now call Asia Minor. Or perhaps you're familiar with it under the name of Turkey. Uh, But this is the area to which he addresses this precious epistle. The context of Peter's letter suggests that it was written during a time of persecution. Fiery trials for the Lord's people. And brethren, we are disconnected from that in history. Our nation does not realize that God's people for the most part of their history, have been a persecuted people. Therefore, rendering, uh, at least in my particular convictions, many of us unsuited for understanding some of the encouragements that are so often found on the pages of the New Testament. Now, the Apostle exhorts his readers to their various responsibilities as God's elect and to be obedient children. He calls them to be holy as their Father in Heaven is holy. He reminds them that they have been delivered from the empty and worthless lifestyle of their forefathers and that they have been redeemed, which means to be set free by payment of a ransom price. And that redemption was not with perishable things like silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Peter then reminds the Lord's children that Jesus Christ, the spotless Lamb of God, was foreordained before the foundation of the world, yet was manifested in these last times for them, And for us, I remind you, as we've been studying through John's epistle in the first first service on the Lord's Day, that we've been in the last times, since the inauguration of Christ's great kingdom in His coming. Now, 
Peter uh, stirs their affections towards Christ by telling them that by Him they believe in God who raised Him from the dead. And not only this, but their faith and their hope were in God through the resurrected Lord of glory. Brethren, there is no other way to the Father but through His Holy Son. In our day of pluralism and multiculturalism, brethren, the greatest sin is to say what Christ Himself said. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Him. Faith of our fathers. Holy faith. May we never turn, brethren, from the exclusivity of Christ's claims. The Lord never proclaimed that men will be saved by the light they have, but by faith in the risen Lord Christ, and that through Him we come into blessed union and communion with the Father. Well, The Apostle then makes several remarkable statements in the passage that we read in the light of the truths that we have just considered. He points out that having believed on God through Christ, God's children have purified their souls in obeying the truth by the power of God's Holy Spirit. Now this seems to be a reference to Christ's commands to love one another. It doesn't mean purified in the sense that we've done something that saves us. But talking about the fact that having believed on Christ, having been purified by the blood of Christ, we then by the power of the Holy Spirit keep His commands and we purify our lives. We increase in moral purity. And the commandment being referred to here, I believe, is Christ's love command by the very words that are being spoken here. In other words, Peter is addressing them and saying that they have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and by the gracious power of the Holy Spirit, they are growing in moral purity by a sincere and undisguised love for God's children. Look at verse 22. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. Now, I will say this. Many good men are divided as to how to understand this idea of being purified. <clears throat> and there would be those who would say that what Peter is pointing to is uh, by saying ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth that obeying the truth there means believing the gospel. You've believed the gospel. It's a command to believe on the Lord Jesus. You've believed and been purified by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is unto a sincere and unfeigned love for the brethren. There are others that see, would see this as a post-conversion purifying. Uh, meaning, as I explained a moment ago, we believe on Christ, we're purified uh, by having believed in Him and His precious blood. And then by the power of the Holy Spirit, we obey His commands and we are purifying our lives, not in a saving 
way, but purifying our walk. Now, whichever side you take there, ultimately, we're still proclaiming that this is all by the work of the Holy Spirit and that it is uh, ultimately pointing to sanctifying grace. Now, I think that this is very important because he commands them in this verse to love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, brethren, that's the title of our message this evening. Love with a pure heart fervently. And I must confess as I stand before you this evening, the Lord has really pierced my own heart meditating upon this this afternoon. Of course, I trust that I would never come into the pulpit or any man would ever come into the pulpit having not been pierced by the Word of God. But there are times when the Lord peculiarly moves in your soul and peculiarly moves the sword of the Spirit and... uh, afternoon was certainly that way. And I trust that we will all find a keen sense of the Lord's working among us this evening as we consider what is here before us. Let's look at verse 22 again. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto Unfeigned, that means an unhypocritical, a sincere love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Now, is, is he just repeating himself as preachers are wont to do? And I, I have to say, I think not. I think that he is cranking this up a bit, ratcheting up the intensity. He's saying... You have been saved unto the love of the brethren. And now, I command you to love one another fervently. The word means intensely. There is ardor in this word. Verse 23 begins with Being born again. Being born again. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Being born again. In other words, as is declared so plainly by the Apostle John, obedience to Christ's command to love one another is evidence of being born of God's Holy Spirit. So in full agreement with his fellow Apostle John, Peter makes clear that regenerating grace from above, heavenly life burning in these earthly vessels, evidences itself by an unhypocritical love, a love from a pure heart fervently. Now, Peter's point is that being born of God's Spirit, Christians must not only engage in loving Christians sincerely, they must go on to a fervent, intense love. 
And this is what the great physician is concerned about in this message, I believe. As we come again to his uh, examination room, we come for our spiritual diagnosis, our spiritual checkup this evening, and we ask the Lord to search our hearts with this text. We know that the Word of God, brethren, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even from the dividing asunder, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. It was said of the Puritans that they were physicians of the soul, And it was not an unusual thing to say of those who were particularly gifted in their handling of the Word of God that they dove into men's souls. Well, brethren, I must confess that I can only trust the Holy Spirit to do that. But I do pray that He will come and wield His scalpel this evening and uh, speak to our hearts regarding a loving the brethren with a pure heart fervently. So, <clears throat> may the Spirit of God, the Word of God, the Son of God, work mightily in our souls this evening with this question. Do you love more fervently? Not just do you love, but do you love more fervently? Now let's consider these heads this evening. First of all, the commands to love. The commands to love. And we're going to take a little bit of time and, and just listen to the Scriptures. Secondly, we want to consider the decline of love. The decline of love. And then false and true expressions of love. And finally, the cultivation of love. <clears throat> Let's consider then first the commands to love. As we look at Peter's wonderful epistle, he comes to us with a truth that especially to those of us that have been sitting in the expositions of 1 John, he comes to us with themes that we're quite familiar with, that we're commanded to love one another. These are not suggestions. These are not options. These are not things to try when other things aren't working out so well. God and His Word do not work like witchcraft. There are no formulas. There, there are God's clear principles and commands which by the power of His Spirit we walk in and we leave the results of all of what we do in His hands. And we do them not because of the outcome that we desire. We do them for the glory of the God that commanded them. Amen. This is why we are... Uh, why and how we are to obey. <clears throat> now, 
Let's consider first the Lord Jesus' commands to love one another, and then let's look at a list of New Testament commands to love one another. We've spent much time recently in our expositions of 1 John on the subject of God's love, the very fact that God's nature is love, that love is of God, and that our love for one another flows from thence. But we must never forget that Christianity was founded upon Christ's commandment. A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this, by this, shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. Now some of you may be thinking at this point, now brother, pastor, we've been talking about this a great deal lately. I mean, uh, were you low on things to preach about? So that we come back to this subject yet again? And of course the answer is no. Not low on things to preach about. But as we consider this issue of diagnosing our spiritual health, it is one thing for us to sit and to be informed that we are to do these things. It is another to examine our hearts about the degree to which we apply these things. I'm not presently declaring to you the teaching from John's first epistle that we ought to. I am taking Peter's command and applying that we must do this fervently. How we are to apply that is the examination of our hearts this evening. And so I find it uh, completely in harmony with the things that we've been looking at, yet without being vain repetition. Now, Jonathan Edwards rightly proclaimed that heaven is a world of love. By the way, if you've never read our our booklet on that, it is just a a marvelous sermon. Uh, It wonderfully fed our souls. We read it in family worship, and it was a, a tremendous encouragement. But, as he points out, the Scriptures plainly teach us, God the Father and God the Son shared the infinite, eternal perfections of love in their eternal union and communion. And as John points out, we must clearly see that God's nature is love when we gaze upon the broken body of Jesus Christ upon the cruel cross of Calvary. Brethren, in every drop of blood that poured from that holy brow, with the streams that poured from His back and His hands and His feet and His side, in that crimson flood, we see that God is love. And that mighty river of love which flows from the Father to the Son and from the Son 
He directs the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit applies that glorious love to our hearts. And that is evidenced in our love for one another. Now the question is twofold. Are we loving one another? And are we loving one another fervently? Now let us carefully and soberly hear the Word of God regarding love for one another. Just just listen. I, uh, I put together a, a long list, though it's not an exhaustive one. I want us to just hear uh, this tidal wave of, of passages from the New Testament. Let's, uh, as the Bride of Christ, be washed by the, the water of the Word and hear the extraordinary number of commands to love one another. This is my commandment, says our Lord, that ye love one another as I have loved you. These things I command you that ye love one another. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love. Owe no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. Let all your things be done with charity. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. <clears throat> and let us consider one another to provoke unto love and unto good works. Let brotherly love continue. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, ye do well. Finally, be ye all of one mind, have compassion one of another, love as brethren, be, be pitiful, be courteous. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. For this is the message that ye have heard from the beginning, that ye should love one another. And this is His commandment, that ye should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as He gave us commandment. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God, and knoweth God. 
Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. If we love one another, God dwelleth in us, and His love is perfected in us. And this commandment we have from Him, that he who loveth God, love his brother also. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. Those of you with a keen eye will notice that a couple of those were not commandments, but statements of our love to which we are commanded. <clears throat> now, brethren, that, that's not a full list. But just there is an extraordinary mass of commandment to this subject. It is difficult to go through the Word of God and find more on any other subject. Now, there are some that vie for this. But I will tell you, brethren, just this mass of evidence should humble us before our God and say, Lord, how, how am I in this? The command from Gospels to Epistles, how am I in this? What's my spiritual temperature? What are the symptoms in my walk? Do they speak of health, robust vigor? Or does it look like perhaps I've contracted some spiritual disease that's beginning to cause me to flag in these areas? Because God is love. And because we are in union with Him by the regenerating power of the Holy Spirit, our lives will, and they must, reflect His holy nature of love. Not warm, gushy feelings that may, of course, attend what we do. Not against feelings. But what I'm saying is that this love which is God's nature, manifests itself in actions that are identifiable, that are defined by the Word of God. And instead of saying, how do I feel about love tonight? The question is, how am I obeying these commands? Brethren, isn't it easy isn't it easy to talk about love? It's sure easy to preach about it. But how are we loving? Are we loving with a pure heart fervently? Now we may have great knowledge of the Scripture. Razor sharp theological acumen. Abilities to preach, to teach, to witness. But without love, brethren, these are vain. They may be used of God for His purposes, but they're empty. We know what Paul says, don't we? 1 Corinthians 13, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. 
And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Nothing. That's an extraordinary statement. There are people that would give vital organs to be identified with some of these things. And yet Paul says, you may have those things, but without charity, I tell you before God, you are nothing. That is withering. And it needs to be, because we get so puffed up, even in our spiritual service. Let's paraphrase what Paul said here for ourselves. Though we have a literature ministry that reaches to the ends of the globe, though we have a tape ministry that penetrates thousands of prisons, though we have a website that attracts an innumerable host and informs them of the great grace of God and introduces them to the Puritans. Though we attempt to evangelize near and far, though we organize and schedule the inner workings of all our ministries with breathtaking skill, and though we profess to believe and proclaim the holy doctrines of God's sovereign grace, without love, we are nothing. Brother, that's the fact. If people come among us and they do not find a community possessed of and evidencing and demonstrating love from a pure heart fervently, what are we? Let's consider the decline of love. As the great physician draws near to us, as he listens and asks his questions, jots down his notes regarding our condition, as we, as our thinking and as our words and as our lives speak of our symptoms. Are we advancing in love? Are we growing with a pure heart fervently? Or are we declining? How would we know if we're declining? Well, let's, let's look at some things that would just be a few of the evidences of declension. Because, brethren, we are to grow. Christianity is not simply a philosophy. Oh, yes, it is the best philosophy. But it is a living thing. Because it is the life of God in the soul of man. It is the regenerating power of Almighty God who takes sinners and makes them lovers of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is the power of God that plucks men out of a, out of a plunge toward hell and sets their feet in the path. And no matter how they stumble and fumble and weep over their limitations, they know that the burning desire of their heart, the drive of their lives, is to honor the Savior that loved them and gave himself for him, for them. Gave himself for them. 
Oh, may the Lord connect my brain and my tongue. But brethren, hear that Christianity is not simply one religion among others. It is the very inhabitants of heaven on earth. Am I overstating the claim? Listen to Paul. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost. This is what he says. So brethren, this living thing Surely, as all living things has its ups and downs, as long as it's contained in these vessels of flesh. But brethren, it evidences itself. The love of the saints can decline without a prayerful, watchful care and maintenance. It can, brethren. We can grieve God's Spirit and begin to decline. Hear the word of Christ to that church at Ephesus. I mean, if you were to take the seven churches and look at them and read them carefully, without the eyes of the Spirit, I mean, which one would we want to join? Ephesus! And yet Christ says you have left your first love. They look better on the outside than all the rest of the churches. And yet this is the only church he threatens with taking away the candlestick. You've left me. You've left the love of your soul. You look great. You look at all the false apostles and you go off. They don't have the truth. And you do all these things that look wonderful to the eye. But as I gaze upon your heart, you've become heartless. Oh, brethren, what would the physician say to us this evening? Oh, Mount Zion. Oh, Mount Zion. Where are your overtures of love? Now, what are some of these evidences that our love may be declining? Or perhaps for some encouragement advancing? What are they? Well, we're going to go over just a few of these that we looked at last week. But we're going to look at them from a different perspective. We took 1 Corinthians 13 and looked at it in the light of God's love for us and how that reflects His glory. Tonight we look at the opposite side of it and say, if these things are not here, it speaks of declension, decline. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that charity suffereth long. As we said, that means to demonstrate patience despite difficulties. Charity is long-suffering. Brethren, when we find ourselves growing impatient and more easily aggravated, we're declining in love. I make this personal. Brethren, as we labor here in this ministry, there are days that become very intense. There are many demands made upon all of us of our time, of our health, of our funds. There are times when we're faced with, with questions and situations that are taxing and they're challenging and they're trying. And it's easy to become so focused on them that they rob our joy 
and our love begins to decline. And it's easy to answer brethren or to say things in a way that dishonor the head of the church. Are you more impatient or less impatient? Are you more easily aggravated or less easily aggravated? Love is kind, Paul tells us. And as I said, this means to provide some beneficial, something beneficial for someone, or an act of kindness, to be merciful. When we find ourselves thinking, saying, or acting in unkind ways, we're declining. Are we more gracious in our dealings with our brethren than we were a year ago? Or has the honeymoon ended? Has the newness and excitement worn off? Well, of course, that happens. Just like in marriage. And you begin to find out what love's really like. But brethren, are we more or are we less curt, terse, with one another, sullen, inconsiderate, more harsh or more severe. Brethren, if so, we're declining. You might take that right out of the ministry and walk right into your house. Husbands, wives, is it so between you? It is shameful. I've experienced over the years visiting in the homes of some believers and just to listen to the the day-to-day banter between husband and wife. You can tell whether there's a spirit of peace reigning in that home or whether there's that edginess that comes with the little sharp quips. It doesn't take long for that to build up in an office place. Yeah, you know, know, brother so-and-so. Yeah, that's the way he is. Oh, are we prayerful? Are we careful to maintain a loving attitude. I'm talking about being smarmy. I'm talking about being gushy. I'm talking about speaking with grace, thinking with kindness, acting with compassion. Charity envieth not. It doesn't envy. And when we become discontent, dissatisfied, grudging, We're declining in love. When we become envious of others' advantages, others' status, oh, they get all the glory. Others' possessions, others' privileges, we're backing up. Brother Stephen and I pastor this assembly. I'm the one usually the most visible in the teaching. It would be very easy for those of you that are here to overlook the fact that there's another pastor laboring in the flock.
Brother Stephen is gifted in programming. He's just done an, a wonderful new program for the, the ministry. I can, you could hold a gun on me and I couldn't program that computer. And we hear everyone saying, oh, this is a wonderful thing and this is a great thing in the ministry and oh, it's really going to advance everything. And I could sit in my office and say, I'm making a big deal about this programming and all of this kind of thing and, and I'm in here laboring hard and nobody notices. It's easy to do. We're declining at that point. Declension. We're backing up. We're not loving. Husbands, wives, same thing. You always get to do everything. You get all the good breaks. Oh, they're getting to do this in the ministry, and I have to do this. Brother David could say, you know, it's a little hard for me to breathe sometimes. It'd be nice for me to have my own office with an air conditioner like Brother Jeff's. And then we begin to think hard thoughts. Brother, is the physician here? Is he saying anything to us? <clears throat> I've known when brothers and sisters labeled it, labor together and others begin to, quote, get the glory. How easy it is to go, oh, I can't believe it. I'm doing all the dog work here and this one gets all the glory. Many a wife labors behind her husband, labors and labors and labors. He'd be virtually nothing without her. And yet, he accomplishes something. And where's, where's the praise to his wife? Charity envieth not. You see, when we love with a pure heart fervently, when envy begins to creep in, brethren, we take the sword of the Spirit and we go to battle. And we begin to mortify it. You will lie down and you will die. One of us is going to come out of this thing hurting. Far too often it's easy to, to go ahead and nurture that envy. Never forget, brethren, it was for envy that they offered up the Lord Jesus Christ. They hated Him. The Pharisees despised Him. Charity vaunteth not itself. It's not puffed up. The idea, again, here is pride and arrogance. It means to behave like a braggart. Now, a lot of times, this can be an unusual manifestation. Of course, there are those that are the obvious ones that talk about, oh, hey, you want to talk to them? How are you doing? And they begin into this litany of all these wonderful things that they're doing ministry-wise. And you listen very often in vain to hear of praise and glory to the Lord Jesus. And then sometimes even when it is thrown in, you can tell it's just kind of dressing. Oh yes, praise the Lord. I'm doing this and I'm doing this and I'm going here and I'm going here and I'm... Me, 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 bless the Lord. But charity vaunteth not itself. When we must have center stage, when events need to revolve around us, when we begin to, uh, when we begin to lust 
so that everyone will think we're wonderful. In fact, when we begin to make our lists in front of everybody about our great sacrifices and boast about our labors for Christ, we're in declension. We're in declension. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Now this, this means to behave shamefully or disgracefully or, or ill-mannered. It's not rude. As our hearts grow hard, brethren, it's easy to become less courteous to those around us, especially those closest to us. I won't ask anyone to stand and give testimony, but have any of you here, any of you men, had particularly difficult or challenging days here, gone to your home, and then perhaps spoken to your wives in less than Christ-honoring ways? Isn't it amazing that we will often be the most unkind to those that are the dearest to our bosom? Now, how perverse is that? We're backing up, brethren. That's not love. Oh, well, she understands. Oh, well, he understands. I just having a bad day, and Mammy ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Love does not behave itself unseemly. Brethren, are we doing this with a pure heart fervently? Or are we backing up? What's the doctor say? Well, love doesn't seek her own. Now, this means that love is not self-seeking. And when we want to uh, start considering our needs and our rights as more important than those of others, we're hardening to love. We're not manifesting it. Me, me, look at me. Look, I mean, you know, we're all here working. But you don't know how hard I really work. And you get this, and you get this break. Well, I ought to get that too. Love is not easily provoked. Boy, this one got me. Brethren, I have to confess before you. I just sat before the Lord, and this one just went right through me. The knife was so sharp, it not only cut right between soul and spirit, it just went right on through my back. Does not become quickly or easily provoked by those around him. This is kind of tied to some of the other things that we've talked about. That when we're declining in love, it's far more easy to become irritable, angry. And we blame it on all kinds of things. Oh, this happened. Oh, the car. Oh, Oh, you, you know what happened at, at, at work today. Or, oh, you don't know that, uh, you know what my, my wife or my husband's going through. Or, oh, you don't know about my children. Or, oh, you, and we just throw out our litany of things. And then we come in on the heel of our litany of things and <sighs> teeth bared. <laughs> Chomp people up. Now, of course, we might not be doing that on the outside. Some of us just go in, in our rooms and sulk and do it on the inside. <laughs> yeah. We would never dare say it in, in the church or we would never dare say it as we're laboring here together day by day. We get back to the house and we get cranked back in our chair and <sighs> all the pressures of the day are over. And boy, we get... <clears throat> it's not easily provoked. 
Love is not easily provoked. Brethren, when we're cooling off in our love, it's far more easy to take what others say and do the wrong way. Oh, I know what he meant by that. I know what she meant by that. Oh, that look on her face. That, oh, that, oh, that look on his. Oh, I know what that means. Isn't that easy? We spend the rest of our day, or the rest of the week, dressing them down. Very often, many of us are, we're far too kind to do that publicly or personally. <laughs> but, oh, we can have them for lunch. <laughs> we begin to analyze every word, every facial feature, every gesture. Oh, I hate it when they do that. Love is not easily provoked. It thinketh no evil. This means that love does not devise evil against someone else. And like I said last week, though, <clears throat> some take it as thinking that others are devising evil toward you. And of course, in this wicked world, both those things happen. But when love is in declension, when love is on that slope going down, it's likely that we're more prone to revenge or to secretly wish that something would happen to people. You say, do people do that? Yeah. I've sat in my office and had people come and sit and weep. But they never, they never showed anything on the outside. But inside, when someone, when someone hurt them, oh, they could sit down and just kind of over here just nurtured that wound and, and they would just kind of hope that this would happen to them or that. People do that? Sure do. We're far more prone to keeping score of perceived offenses when love's declining regarding this thinking no evil. Ah! My mental checklist is now active. <clears throat> oh, and he did it again. <clears throat> she did this, and he said that. And yeah, oh, and oh, when I put this together, oh, what a picture that makes. <clears throat> I got him. Love thinks no evil. And we're not growing in love, brethren. When we've got more time for our projects and our plans and our schedules and our ministry work than we do for God's people. Love is declining when we let people fall into sin without caring about their spiritual condition. Leviticus tells you you hate your neighbor if you don't rebuke them when they're in sin. Now I'm talking about definable sin, not just something you don't like. Brethren, we'll leave this point. We could go on for quite a while, couldn't we? But we'll happily leave this for a few moments. <clears throat> we come before the physician of our souls now, perhaps a little more humbly, and say, Lord, yep, checklist pretty big here. <clears throat> Let's talk about false and true expressions of love for just a few moments. We won't drag these out. 
But there are false expressions of love. There are counterfeit loves that we sometimes think are spiritual love. We need to make sure we're not doing that. When we should be loving like the scriptures tell us. First of all, there's natural affections. Natural affections. Now, in normal circumstances, fathers and mothers love each other and children love their parents and parents love their children and family members are affectionate one toward another. People love their friends. Birds of a feather flock together. You can find all kinds of organizations that get together and and kind of get along. Because someone is cheery and cheerful whenever you see them and, hey, they're easy to get along with and they're just nice to have around and they're kind of... Uh, the, the life of the party. Or or they just are very nice, sincere people. And whenever you're with them, oh, you just feel kind of good. Brethren, that can all come from the flesh. It doesn't necessarily mean it's the Spirit. Because love is of God, and we're made in the image of God, even in our sinful condition, we can show love that reflects God. But it be sinful. He said, well, give me an example. Well, here's a lost man. And he would really, really like to sit and watch this football game. But his daughter has this particular hobby. And a, a, little, a little show for that hobby is going to be in town that day. And he says, well, I'd really like to watch the football game. But, you know, I'll go ahead and take my daughter over to this. We haven't been out to do anything lately. Lost people do things like that, don't they? They can be very considerate. They can self-sacrifice. There's a Christian father, and he's got some particular project set up for that day, or some hadn't had a little break in a while, and he'd like to spend it on himself and kind of unwind a little bit, and something shows up, same hobby, craft show, something that children would like to go to. And instead of doing what he wants to do, he takes his child to that. Now, what in the world is the difference between the first one and the second one? Well, the Scripture says the plowing of the wicked is sin. What does that mean? Well, applied to our example here, whatever we do, we're to do in love for God. It can be a thing that looks right on the surface, but if we're not doing it for the love of God, it doesn't bring Him any honor. So we can do something that the world looks at and applauds. Hey, it looks great. And yet, the plowing of the wicked is sin. He can be out there plowing and a Christian plowing next to him. What's the difference? They're both digging up the soil. One is doing it to the glory of God. The other one's just doing it because whatever reason. Benevolent or selfish. Doesn't matter. Well, anyone can have natural affections. That's not necessarily the love that God's talking about here. Self-love. There are a lot of things that we do that we show. Sometimes men show love toward women or, or women show love toward men where they say, oh yes, oh look how loving he is. Look how loving she is. But really they're doing it because of what they get out of the other person. That's not the kind of love that's being talked about here. Thirdly, there's what we call reciprocal love. I love you if you love me. We hang around together. We're kind of a mutual admiration society. Lost people can do that and they do it every day. But that's not the kind of love God is talking about here. And finally, there's an unbalanced love. We can find this even among Christians, where this fails to treat people as needing both spiritual and physical needs. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, Some men show a love to others as to their outward man. They are liberal 
of their worldly substance and often give to the poor but have no love to or concern for the souls of men. Others pretend a great love to men's souls but they're not compassionate or charitable toward their bodies. The making of a great show of love, pity and distress for souls costs them nothing. But in order to show mercy to men's bodies they must part with money out of their pockets. But a true Christian herein is like the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. He showed mercy to men's souls by laboring for them and preaching the gospel to them and showing mercy to their bodies. In going about doing good, healing all manner of sickness and diseases among the people. We have a remarkable instance of Christ's having compassion at once both to men's souls and bodies and showing compassion by feeding them. There's the example. Oh, blessed Redeemer, are we growing in love out of a pure heart fervently for both the spiritual needs and the temporal needs of men and women in the body of Christ and outside? Well, true expressions, we can go through quickly. We will not elaborate on them. But love for God, love for your family, love for brethren, and love for the lost. And these according to the definition of the Word of God, are self-sacrificing love for the well-being of others. We must go to God first and learn of His great love. Learn, learn what it means that He is love. And to realize that it is the willful decision to show good to others at our own sacrifice. We learn that from our God and then we show it in our families and to our brethren and to the lost. Well then, how will we cultivate this love? And then we will close for this evening. Well, first we cultivate the power and the sense of God's love for us in Christ. It all begins with the Gospel. We learn to live on the Gospel, to feed, to feast on the Gospel, to feast on the Lord Jesus Christ and what He's done for us. Brethren, I I truly fear that we do not sit and meditate and prayerfully consider God's love for us. To look upon Jesus Christ hanging in agony upon the cross of Calvary and realizing this is God saying, I hate your sin. I love your soul. Look at the broken body of my Son. And as we sit, And we think, and as we come to His table and feast upon the bread and upon the fruit of the vine, we think, my God loves me. There are people afraid to do that. Brethren, the Gospel says so, and we ought to saturate our hearts and minds with it. Because apart from that, we will never truly love as we ought. Love is of God. God is love. And where we see it the most, as we saw this morning, where we see it the most clearly, is in the propitiation of Jesus Christ. Let us pray and meditate on love as a signal mark for the new birth. Very often we think, "Ah, well, let's see, i got my one, two, three, four, five points, and so I'm orthodox, and I'm reformed, and I've got all that down. I'm a Christian. That's not John's test. That's an important thing. I'll fight for those doctrines as long as I have breath. But brethren, that's not the test. John puts the test right here and says, Do you love my children? 
And are you growing, and Peter says, are you growing within, a, within that love with a pure heart fervently? Well, we need to think that the, and, and pray and meditate on the fact that love to God that comes from His love for us and then love for God's children, biblical love, is the mark of the new birth. We really need to be thinking that way. Because far too often we make our own signposts. There's these five things I like. If you don't like them, you're not in the kingdom or barely in it. Thirdly, let us grow in assurance of faith by loving as God loves. John tells us, we can have confidence before God if we're walking faithfully, loving our brethren. But if we don't love each other, we don't have any reason to have confidence before God or assurance of our faith. Because we know that we've passed from death to life. Because we're Baptists. No. Because we're Presbyterians. No. Because we love the brethren. Let us identify them Want to cultivate this? Then let us identify relationships where growth and love is most needed. And let's pursue it fervently. Sir, brother, you need to get right with. Brother, you need to spend some time with. You need to go and repent to your wife this evening and fervently love her. Let's find some places where there's, we've got some deficits. And let's take them before the Lord and say, Lord, teach me and help me grow in it. And finally, let's take the initiative in self sacrificing love where we have little or no expectation of return. And then we can believe that that's a real love. If we do it just because we know that they'll love us back, we're loving like the world. But when we love expecting nothing back, we're loving like Christ. Seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. See that ye love one another with a pure heart. Fervently. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, 
from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.